if you don't understand the taxes that you pay, the chances are you are going to pay too much. And the tax that we're going to talk about today, I don't think we've ever really done a dedicated podcast on about, mate. We might have mentioned it in passing. Yeah, no, this is, I think this is totally new. So we definitely mentioned it here and there when things are changing the budget and so on. Uh, although not huge amounts change normally with this tax. But uh, yeah, I think this is the first time. Okay, cool. And we are talking about capital gains tax. So we're going to tell you about how capital gains tax works. We're going to talk about some important exemptions that can apply. And also we're going to talk a bit about the differential rate of capital gains versus, well, capital gains are taxed differently to income. So I'm going to learn a bit in this podcast as well. So looking forward to getting into it. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. Alrighty, mate, back on the pod after what seems like a really long break. It probably doesn't seem like a long break to listeners, but we haven't done a pod together for a little while because we usually take the summer off, even though the pod doesn't stop. Yes, I think the last one might have been inheritance tax, maybe. So I've waited. It's going to be your tax. Yeah, tax, yeah. So that's my main, main focus whenever I come on the podcast, isn't it? Really taxes or updates or budgets. Sometimes questions and answers. We sometimes do those as well. But uh, yeah, tax is my main thing. Yeah, awesome. So other thing to say is, I don't know how this happened because this podcast genuinely did start in my garage with only one microphone and we've left those episodes up there. Episode one is still available. I haven't listened to it. I imagine it's pretty cringy, but we're approaching a million downloads, which is amazing. And we're really grateful to everyone that has shared this podcast, found it useful, given us feedback, left us a review, hit the subscribe button. And more importantly, told your colleagues about it. But we are approaching a million downloads. And I was kind of thinking, like, we should maybe do something to celebrate a million downloads. Yeah, I think mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing milestone. And thank you to everyone who's, who's downloaded the podcast and listened to it and given us feedback and so on. It's, it's been phenomenal how it's grown from that those cold days in your very cold garage. And yeah, likewise, I've not, I wouldn't want to listen back to the first podcast. I imagine it would be very cringy. But yeah, I think it'd be, it'd be very nice to do something for that. Yeah. So if you're listening on YouTube, drop in the comments what you think we could do. I was thinking about this. So we could do like our favorite episodes and why. Uh, so that'd be one episode option. Someone could interview us and I don't know, talk about like how the podcast started and stuff, because a lot of our listeners won't be aware that we really did start in a garage. We had, I think we had 10 downloads in our first month. And at the moment we're at 50, about 40 to 50,000, which is not because me and Ed are podcast geniuses. It is purely because people like you have listened to it and shared it. So we really appreciate that. But we want to do something that would be useful to our audience. So let us know in the comments what would be most useful to you. Because I, I, I love the numbers, but for me personally, especially with my hand injury, just bumping into so many medical professionals who are helping me with my hand injury, and they say, oh, by the way, I really like your podcast. Like, that is worth more than any download. It's just It feels incredible that we're helping our colleagues make better financial decisions. So thanks so much suggestions on what we should do and let's get into this episode shall we because even though we're nearly a million downloads on 180 episodes we've never done capital gains tax and it's so important to understand this tax because you're going to tell us why so should we get into it yeah absolutely let's let's start and have a tiny bit of a history slash background to capital gains tax although i'll keep it though brief 
But basically, uh, capital gains tax was introduced in the mid-1960s by the then Labour government. So it's actually one of the newer taxes, although it's still obviously fairly old. But it was brought in as a tax on the profits arising from the disposal of assets. Up until the 60s, there was no such thing. And a lot of people were using the, that unique benefit to try and avoid paying income tax, for example, by making things into capital gains tax of which there was no tax. So the Labour government at the time decided to bring in this brand new capital gains tax. And it's becoming more and more important to the government as time goes on. So the data published by HMRC in August 2023, that showed that in the 2021 to 2022 tax year, 394,000 taxpayers paid capital gains tax, which is an increase of 20% on the previous year and basically brought in 167 billion pounds of revenue for the government. So not insignificant at all. And recently, capital gains tax has been in the news because the government has made some cuts to what is called the annual allowance to make some extra money. Taxpayers basically receive an annual allowance every tax year. And it's very similar to the, the personal allowance for income tax. So most of our listeners, if not all, will be aware of the personal allowance. So think of the annual allowance as just like that, but for the but for capital gains tax. And it used to be that £12,300 of gains could be received capital gains tax-free. But recently, the government have cut that to £6,000 from the 6th of April 2023. And they intend to cut that again to £3,000 from the 6th of April 24, as a way to help the government balance the books further. As per usual, we're not here to make you tax experts. Capital gains tax, just like all the other taxes, can get incredibly complicated. However, we thought today we would just go through some of the basics to once again help all you guys listening or watching to understand the taxes that you pay. Because if you don't understand it, there's a good chance you might pay too much. Okay, so you might wonder when exactly does capital gains tax apply? Okay, so I'm going to use the definition, the, the jargon for a minute, and then I'll explain to you what it means. Okay, but capital gains tax, that applies if a chargeable person makes a chargeable disposal of a chargeable asset. Okay, now... A chargeable person is basically an individual who is resident in the UK, all right? UK resident companies are also affected, but they pay corporation tax on any gains rather than capital gains tax. People that live overseas holding UK assets don't generally pay capital gains tax, okay? So this is mainly UK resident individuals that pay the tax, okay? We mentioned this term chargeable disposal. The most common form of chargeable disposals of an asset, of course, is a sale of an asset. But don't forget, or if you don't know this, you should definitely know this, gifts of an asset are also considered disposals. And even things like loss or destruction of an asset may count. And in this case, if you lose an asset, for example, if you have an asset that gets destroyed in a fire, that would often yield what's called a capital loss. So your proceeds are basically zero, but you have incurred a cost, so you make a capital loss. We should definitely mention this, okay? If any assets are transferred on death, then capital gains tax doesn't apply, okay? Inheritance tax comes into effect instead, okay? And I can't remember which number it is, but we've definitely done a, a podcast on uh, inheritance tax not that long ago. So definitely go and check that out if you want to know more about inheritance tax. And then finally, so we spoke talking about chargeable persons. We talked about chargeable disposals. Finally, capital gains tax only applies to chargeable assets, okay? Because there are some assets out there that are not, that if you dispose of them, they will not result in a capital gains tax liability. Okay. And it's 
really important to know about these and I'm sure a lot of people will be uh, very keen to know what these are okay so the following are included in this list okay I'm not going to pretend that every single thing you know has been included here of course it won't have done but these are the key ones that you should know about okay so the first asset that you can dispose of and be exempt from capital gains tax is your principal private residence okay so if you own your own house which you're currently living in and you sell that house to someone any profit you make on the sale of that house your principal private residence that should be free of any capital gains tax okay which is obviously a fantastic for those people who've bought houses the house prices has increased since they bought it they sell it for a profit that is completely and utterly tax-free okay so that is very nice for those people to whom it applies okay any shares that you hold in an ISA those are also capital gains tax-free okay so if um, you have an ISA stocks and shares ISA and shares within that are sold and they make a gain you will not um, pay any capital gains tax another very common commonly held asset I think a lot of us will be um, holding this uh, and it's capital gains tax-free is cars okay if you have a car and you sell your car there are no capital gains tax implications now for the vast majority of cars you're almost certainly going to make a loss when you sell your car and that's exactly why rather sneakily these assets are exempt because if you make a capital loss you can claim that loss and i'll mention a bit more about losses in a bit but if you make a loss on an asset you can claim that loss the government do not want every single person who ever sold a car to be able to claim a capital loss okay so they automatically make cars exempt purely to make sure that uh, we can't do that okay so pretty sneaky um, but that's what they do okay government bonds or government gilts are also exempt from capital gains tax so if you buy any treasury bonds for example and you make a, a gain on those there will be no capital gains tax again uh, a little government rule there to try and encourage investment in uh, buying up the government's debts any foreign currency that you hold for personal expenditure outside the UK that also is exempt from capital gains tax in that case it just gets really complicated so I recently went to went to Lisbon went to Portugal I got out some euros if for some reason I made a gain when I converted those euros back to pounds obviously it'd be a very small gain if I made one at all the government again do not want the hassle of every single person going to every on every holiday changing their currency back and forth and making a loss or a gain so they've just completely exempted it to make things as easy as they can next it's quite a decent list here next if you hold any shares in what's called a venture capital trust now fully appreciate this may not really apply to many of our listeners but it might do any shares that you hold in a venture capital trust if you sell them after a certain time frame they should be exempt from capital gains tax okay i think we did do a, a podcast all about venture capital trusts and other things on because we were asked about it still it's still a popular topic to get asked to do podcasts on so it might be we need to resurrect that and do a refresher but certainly yeah shares held in a venture capital trust they are free of capital gains tax okay all right we're nearly at the end it's actually it's actually quite longer than i was thinking so the next thing that you can get the next thing that's exempt from capital gains tax are called wasting chattels okay so a wasting chattel is a tangible movable object so that's what a chattel is and when it's called a wasting chattel it means it's got a predictable useful life not exceeding 50 years okay so basically an object that you can see and move around with a lifespan that's predicted to be less than 50 years okay so examples of a wasting chattel would include and goodness knows who owns these but racehorses and greyhounds they're definitely wasting chattels they're not going to last 50 years but more importantly for us computers 
laptops, computers, if you were to, again, manage to sell those for a, a gain, there'll be no capital gains tax. Pieces of plant or machinery are also classified as wasting chattels as well, okay? Now, you might think, well, this is getting really technical. What else is going on? Why does that apply to me? Basically, weirdly enough, HMRC consider clocks and watches as machinery for capital gains tax purposes. So if you were to be lucky enough to be in the possession of, say, a Rolex watch or an antique grandfather clock or anything like that, HMRC will consider those to be wasting chattels, have a life of less than 50 years, and therefore no capital gains tax will be payable if you then sold them. I'm just going to quickly touch, just because we're here, okay, I'm just going to quickly touch on the rules for something for the for non-wasting chattels so again tangible movable property that's going to last for more than 50 years so if you have any assets such as paintings antiques jewelry etc the rules are very complicated i think you'd all go crazy if, if i went through the whole lot here but basically if the proceeds of sale that you receive on selling one of those items if that's less than or equal to six thousand pounds then the resulting capital gain is completely exempt from capital gains tax. Okay, so those are just some examples. There are a few more, which I didn't think were as important to mention, but those are just some, some key assets that if you dispose of them, no capital gains tax payable. So at this point, I just wanted to also mention, of course, that any transfers between spouses or civil partners, there's no capital gains tax or, or, or capital losses made on those transfers. Okay, so these basically take place of what's called a, a nil gain, nil loss transfer. So if let's say I was married and I transferred some assets to my spouse, they would then hold the asset and they'll basically be deemed to have bought the asset at exactly the same time that I did at exactly the same cost as I did. So there's no gain or loss. The transfer just goes to your spouse or civil partner exactly as if they were the ones that actually bought the asset. Okay. That's also the case if you give an asset to charity as well, by the way. If you were to donate assets to charity, give them away, uh, there will be no capital gains tax for the charity. Okay, so that's quite awesome, a lot of something there. That, that was, yeah, that was a super comprehensive list, but I thought it would be, and you alluded to some of this already, but like how this could work in practice. Because I remember when I first found out about how capital gains was taxed, the first time I found out about tax was literally when I got my first payslip as an F1. Then I looked at my debt repayments and everything like that. And I was just in a blind panic. And then I was just thinking, how am I going to buy a house? Uh, because I just had, you know, minus 85,000 pounds of money. So really in debt. But the way that capital gain, the capital gains is taxed way less. And you're about to talk about this way less than income. So that primary principal private residence, right? Here's what I was thinking. I was thinking in 10 years time, I might need a family home with, let's say, £50,000 as the deposit, right, to put down on a family home. Now, if I earn that money by working super hard as a doctor, doing locums and stuff, I would pay way more tax on it than if I, instead of going straight and buying a family home, no, not buying a house for 10 years and then buying a house in 10 years' time. Instead, what I did was, fortunately, my wife got a small inheritance, 20 grand, and we used that to buy a disgusting flat. In, it was disgusting, but we renovated that flat. And a few years later, we needed to move. So we sold it and we made a small profit on that. Okay. But because it's my primary pr principal private residence, easy for you to say, not for me, because it's my principal private residence, I paid absolutely no tax on that extra money that I'd 
earned from selling my house. Whereas if I'd earned that money as a doctor, I would have paid a ton of tax and I would have paid my student loan contributions on it. It would have been terrible. And then I thought, okay, that worked quite well. So next house, absolutely had no central heating. There was a patch in the, I'm going to call it a conservatory, but it wasn't really a conservatory. It was like a, like a greenhouse off the back. There was a patch where it appeared that the former resident probably had passed away there on the carpet. It, it was really bad. No central heating for the winter. But guess what? We put some central heating in, renovated it. And then when it came to sell it, because we naturally needed to move house again, we sold it. And again, that money that we made on 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 the house did not attract any tax at all. Whereas if I'd had to earn that money, it would take ages. So there are pros and cons to that. I lived in a house with no central heating, a stain on the carpet where the previous resident probably passed away, sadly. I, at one stage, had rats and mice. I thought it was either rats or mice, but apparently you can get both. They coexist if the house is enough of a hole. But the net nice. result of that was that I, I have a house now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a house now which I paid way less tax to get the deposit together than I would have if I'd earned that deposit being ta taxed as income. Does that make sense? Criticize my logic. And I know that we have differing views on houses because you like nice houses. I like doer uppers, <laughs> shall we say? Uh, it's it's why I quite like uh, new builds, or at least I have a new build, I guess is the better way to put it. And you, you'd really hope that a new build wouldn't start off with, with rats and mice and so on. But uh, no, it does make sense. And capital gains tax, yeah, it's it, it, it swings around in terms of what how it's how it's charged, what the rates are and, and so on. And you're absolutely right. At the moment, there is that disparity, isn't there, between what you pay on a capital gain versus what you pay on income tax. Income tax is definitely, for the majority of people, much higher than it is for capital gains tax. And we'll come into the rates in a minute for you guys who don't know what those are. But but I, what, one thing I will say is that it used to be the case that the income tax rate and the capital gains tax rate were the same. So that wasn't even that long ago. So the 80s and 90s, that was they were basically very similar. The first, so in the 80s, used to, 80s and 90s, used to get pay 40% like you would do for income tax at that time, but you'd get some relief for inflation that's eroding your, the value of your asset. Then they got, got rid of that and brought in uh, a way to reduce it, reduce your capital gains tax rate based on how long you own the asset. And then they got rid of that and they made it into a flat rate. Uh, and that even that flat rate's gone up and down. Um, there is a lot of speculation, a lot of talk that at some point they will equalize the capital gains tax rate and the income tax rate and make them exactly the same. That's always one of those kind of classic news stories that comes up all the time. That's what the government or the Labour Party are going to do. Who knows, really? It's speculation. But as you say right now, yep, if you make a capital gain, then you're going to be paying less tax than you would do for plus there are more exemptions aren't there you mentioned the principal private residence absolutely you there are people in in london say i've got, I've got a friend who had a flat and sick cup and made a huge gain on that and all entirely tax-free because that was his principal private residence so so you're right it's there is quite a, a disparity there and uh, yeah capital gains usually are nicer when you can get them but of course you have to have the asset in the first place and then you've got to sell it which you may or may not want to do so yeah, no, but absolutely great point there. It also explains why a lot of wealthy people might, because I used to look at wealthy people buying like antique Ferraris for a million pounds and just think, wow, what a waste of money. But actually, if that if they buy that antique Ferrari for a million pounds and drive it around for 10 years and in 10 years time, it's worth two million pounds because it's a car, they pay zero tax on that extra money. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. Cars are exempt. So if you do buy an actual antique car, a valuable car, and you sell it for a for a profit, excellent work, zero tax for you. 
so yeah, it, uh, yeah, I would never dream of buying such a thing. But uh, if you do, yeah, no tax. Um, yeah, I think that's the same about probably... watches as well. Yeah, that's the thing. Rolex watches, I've, again, I've never, I don't have the money to buy one, but they're a really big thing now, aren't they, at the moment? There's, uh, I think Rolex are now stopping people from just buying them outright because the demand is so high. But yeah, if you then sell them on, again, no no capital gains tax. So it's a pretty good point, good stage to actually explain what the rates of CGT are for those people who are listening right now and don't know what they are, because you'll see that there is a there is that disparity with income tax we just mentioned. Because assuming that you make a gain on an eligible asset, so we've already gone through what's not eligible, but if you make a gain on an eligible asset in any tax year, and that exceeds your annual allowance for that year, then you're gonna pay capital gains tax. And the rate at which you pay basically depends on what type of taxpayer you are. If you're a higher or additional higher rate taxpayer, then you'll pay a 28% capital gains tax rate on gains from residential property. So remember those are properties that aren't your principal private residence, the property you own and live in, and a 20% tax on capital gains from other chargeable assets. So shares or, yeah, shares shares being basically the classic one, but other assets as well, jewelry, for example, etc. If you're a, a basic rates taxpayer, then your taxable gains, basically if your taxable gains plus your taxable income, if they fall within the basic rate band, which hopefully a lot of people know is between £12,571 and £50,270, then the capital gains tax rate is 18% on residential property and 10% on other gains. So basically, it's 20% for additional higher or higher rate taxpayers and 10% for basic rate taxpayers, unless it's a second property or second or more property, in which case it's 20 and 18%. Okay, so you can see if, if I had shares which are worth lots of money, and I sold them all for lots of money, made a huge gain. I would be paying 20% on that gain. Whereas as Tommy said, if you're, a, if you're an additional high rate taxpayer, you're paying 45% income tax plus national insurance uh, on your salary, plus pension contributions and student loan uh, and all sorts. So quite a difference. There's also another a whole extra um, capital gains tax rate, um, which I'm going to mention here. And that is if an individual owns and disposes of their own business, then there's also something called business asset disposal relief, which used to be called for many years, used to be called something called entrepreneur's relief. And that basically gives the owner a 10% capital gains tax rate on the first one million pound of gains if the rules are met. So usually if you have more than, if you have basically a material shareholding in a company, which is usually defined as more than 5% of a company, then you should be, should be eligible for business asset tape relief. Um, if you've held those shares for more than two years. And as I say, if you do that, so if you have your own business, for example, if you are running, if you're in private practice with your own business and you sell that, having owned the shares for more than um, two years, then you're going to get a 10% tax rate up to a million pounds of gains. Okay. So quite a significant chunk of your gain would be at 10%, if not all of it in that situation. Um, 10 million. So this would be the first 10 million pounds of gains. If you owned your own company, you'd get a 10% tax rate, but that was reduced to 1 million not that long ago. But still pretty juicy and say a particular interest anyone who owns a business as part of, a, let's say, private practice. And that 10% rate applies no matter whether you're a basic rate, a higher rate, or an additional higher rate taxpayer. Okay, so whatever happens, if you have a, a material interest in a company, so more than 5% for more than two years, or, by the way, if you're a sole trader or a partner selling part or all of your business, 
again, as long as you have more than 5% of that business, then you're going to be paying a 10% tax rate on the first 1 million pounds of gains. Okay. So fully appreciate this is not going to apply to lots and lots of people here. The vast majority of people, it's more just just as let you know that exists. But yeah, I'm sure there will be some people out there with private practice businesses that might be able to benefit from that. Okay. So just a couple of final points. Okay. So I know I've talked quite a lot here and hopefully you guys are still still listening and still interested, but just some final points to know. Okay. Any capital gains tax that's payable. So should you end up having to pay capital gains tax, any capital gains tax payable has to be paid by the 31st of January after the tax year in which the gain was made. If your total gains that you make are less than your tax-free annual allowance, so for example, if you have, if your let's say your, your granddad left you some Tesco shares in an inheritance and you sell them and make a you know, couple of hundred pound gain, which is below your tax-free annual allowance, you, you do not have to report the gains, okay? Unless the total amount you sell, the, sell them for is more than four times the annual allowance or you're already registered for self-assessment, okay? So just to reiterate, if you already do a tax return and you make a capital gain, put that on your tax return, okay? No matter what happens, just put it on your tax return, okay? If you don't do a tax return already and you make a sale of an asset and that's below your tax-free annual allowance, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do a tax return or tell HMRC unless the proceeds were more than four times the annual allowance, okay? So at the moment, the annual allowance is £6,000. So basically, if you sell something for more than £24,000, even if the gain is tiny, you sell it for £24,000 and the cost was £23,000, you still have to tell HMRC, okay? If you make a loss on disposal of an asset, you can make a claim for that loss, okay? So if you buy an asset and then many years later, you're forced to sell it at a loss, you can claim that loss and then carry forward that loss against any future gains that you might make or any gains that you make in the same tax year if you have multiple assets that you sell. Okay. Again, if you do make a loss on the asset, you need to do a tax return to claim that loss. Otherwise, HMRC will have no idea that loss exists. Okay. I appreciate this is quite niche, but as I say, it's not going to be beyond the realm of possibility that people out there have bought some shares in a company. They have to sell them for whatever reason. Right now, the stock markets are down. They may make a loss on that on those shares. If you claim that loss, tell HMRC all about it, then when you finally buy some shares and sell them at a profit, you can then use that loss you've made um, to lower your tax bill later on down the line, okay? We talked about what assets aren't capital gains tax. Just one thing to think about, any shares held in ISAs, we've mentioned this before, they are exempt from capital gains tax. And with the, with the cuts in the annual allowance, that tax-free amount, that makes ISAs far more important than ever, okay, for shielding any capital gains that you make. So... If you can, if you want to buy some shares in a specific company, doing so via an ISA will just shield any gains that might come about from any capital gains tax. Okay. It's becoming more and more important. Now, when the capital gains tax allowance was, or tax free allowance was £12,300, that's great. But now it's 6000 It's going to be 3000 from next April. So the amount of gain you can make before you have to pay tax is getting lower and lower, which is going to catch more and more people. Even people that you wouldn't dream of being caught by a capital gains tax in the future, make it start to get caught by it okay so just think about that the other thing that people do regarding the capital gains tax is unlike say income tax where you get your salary paid every month or what else inheritance tax someone sadly passes away and you get given some money which then might be chargeable to inheritance tax capital gains tax is an interesting one because to some extent perhaps to quite a large extent people have some say over when they dispose of their assets 
Okay. So what some people can do, I'm not saying this is the vast majority, but some people, what they can do is they can time the disposal of their assets to try and utilize that tax-free annual allowance. Okay. So if, for example, I had some shares, I maybe that I could, and I wanted to get rid of them because I wanted the money for other reasons. I could sell some of the shares. If I know the value of the shares or each share, I could potentially dispose of some this year and make a gain of up to £6,000. And then next year, I could try and sell some more up to a gain of £3,000 to try and bring myself within that capital gains tax annual allowance. Okay. It's tricky. Okay. Nothing is easy in this world, especially when it comes to tax. But, you know, if there, if you have any scope over when you sell assets that you do want to sell, try and think about if there's a way to do it, which covers your, you know, is covered by your annual allowance to try and avoid paying some tax. I think I've said quite a lot now, so I'm going to, I'm going to be quiet for a minute. Does that all make sense, Tommy? Mate, these are my favorite type of podcasts because this is like a glimpse into your former life where you still are a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor, but you were advising high net worth individuals. And you're right. A lot of this, Ferraris, watches, only really applies to your former clients when you were advising high net worth individuals. But there's so much for normal people as well that can be in there. Like just that tip there that the, the, the capital gains annual allowance is dropping. Okay, so... You need to take that into account if you've got anything to dispose of and just make use of your ISA if you can. I love it. I guess we generally tend to stay classy on the podcast. So we just report the facts and we don't give our opinion on this. But this just seems crazy that there's such a differential tax rate between income that mm. you earn and, and is subject to income tax and income that's taxed under capital gains. There's just a huge gap between and i told you how i utilize that uh, it's not for everyone but i don't know uh, are we going to pass a comment on that or maybe think about why does it make could it make sense in a wider picture because i guess it's encouraging entrepreneurs in a way i don't know what do you think yeah different governments have got different views haven't they and what what they want to encourage what what they like in in, in society in the economy the general feeling amongst a lot of politicians certainly has been that they're trying to trying to encourage shareholding, they're trying to encourage house owning, they're trying to encourage people setting up their own businesses and creating jobs and bringing in tax revenue. So we mentioned, I mentioned earlier that uh, there's a thought that one day they may equalize the rates to capital gains tax and, and income tax could be an easy sale in one sense. They can say we, we need the money and why should the richest who own the most assets profit from this? But equally, there'll be people out there that will say we're punishing uh, entrepreneurs, you're punishing success, you're punishing people that want to try and invest their money in, in, in shares and in, in British companies and, and so on and so forth. When they say that, when people speculate that one day those rates will be equalized, one thing they often say is, or again, it's just a viewpoint, just a thought of certain people, is that entrepreneurs relief or business asset disposal relief, as it's now clunkily called, that 10% rate for a million pounds of gains for people that own their own business, there's a good chance that that will remain that will stay the same because if you imagine you're a Labour government and you say well, from now on everyone's paying 40% capital gains tax then if you keep that 10% entrepreneurs relief it's a little bit of shield you can say but you know we are trying to protect uh, our entrepreneurs who are creating companies and jobs and so on so that it's thought that if they do that entrepreneurs relief is likely to be safe but who knows there's definitely pros and cons I can see on both sides I just also want to say yeah, one one thing and, I um... sorry mate I, yeah, I don't know what I, I don't know if, if what this lag's coming from but sorry Scott that just one thing I want to say, actually, Tommy, just to reiterate, something I haven't mentioned at all about this podcast, I just want to reiterate that capital gains tax is a UK-wide tax, okay? So there's no differences 
between Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and England. Okay, so it accounts for everyone. Everything I've said applies to everyone in the UK, which I, I pretty should mention at the start, but just just to say. Yeah, really good caveat there, because as regular listeners will know, there are different income tax rates in Scotland. And I'm not going down that rabbit hole, but now we've done it a bit in the past. But I think, yeah, yeah, it's just such a wide differential. It seems a bit uh, unusual, but I get now why um, wealthy people have Rolexes and buy cars, because worst case, you just offset it as a loss and move on. And best case, you make a million quid and don't pay any capital gains on it. And I think to be okay, cool. That was awesome, mate. If you're watching on YouTube and you want to ask us a question, pop it in the comments. Uh, if it's about Ferraris or expensive watches, that is something that me and Ed know nothing about <laughs> because we don't have any of that. Is this a good time to do notice board? Because we are having a live event in London on the 9th of November, and it is just for advisors now. A, why are we having an event just for advisors? And B, why am I advertising that on this podcast? A lot of advisors listen to this podcast. And I think Medics Money has always been about helping doctors to get the best financial information that they can. And if you need help, we also have a network of the best advisors in the business. And we thought if in medicine, if we've got a difficult case, we have a multidisciplinary team where all the experts get together. I usually have some mediocre coffee, which is always welcome in the NHS, and discuss it in detail. And so Medics Money Live on the 9th of November is like an MDT for advisors that specialize in doctors. So accountants are coming. Uh, financial advisors are coming. We've got some lawyers coming. We've got some property experts coming. So if you are in that category and you are interested in improving the advice that you give to doctors, I'm going to say LinkedIn, me or Andy Powell. Tickets are really going really well, but it's on the 9th of November. And it is just for advisors, not for doctors. Notice- I was, I was, when you said notice board, I was like, what, what is this about? But yeah, no, that's, that's a great thing to mention. Absolutely. So hopefully we'll see lots of people there. Awesome. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But, uh, thanks. Thanks and, for that, Tommy. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks for watching. If you've got any suggestions for comments or what we should do for our millionth download, which is actually going to be coming up. I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but I think it's coming up in like less than two months. So we need to actually go and actually talk about what we are going to do. But if you've got any suggestions, drop them in the comments. Don't forget to share this with your friends. If you've got any really wealthy friends, this podcast episode, this specific episode, probably quite useful for them. For the rest of us mere mortals, we can just dream of making a few quid on our house and not paying any tax on that and maybe buying a watch that doesn't lose all of its value on day one. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. See you soon. Cool. Thanks, mate. Bye.